Right, you wanted to talk about the Bhagavad Gita. No. Mm. Oh no, that was what you asked me to talk yeah, about this time. Yeah, I really, I mean, Bhagavad Gita is. Uh, yeah, no, correct. It's a very big. <laughs> so that's where that's why I was first pointing it out and seeing if you had something that you, that asked you in your mind before, or do I need to kind of fill up some space? And so let's let's use that since you only have a short time. What were you interested in the Bhagavad Gita? What was the interest that made you want to talk about it today? Uh, I didn't think about a special question, but maybe about other things that are happening these days. Is about the war, no? That there is a war. And I'm curious to, um, to understand we spoke a little bit, I think, the last time about this war. It's like if sometimes is good or no, or, or no good. Like uh, that's good. We'll start there. I can. I don't know in English if I can explain. Uh, you explained it enough. The idea of the duality is where you're yeah. confused with the capacity. First is the is to recognize that we as human beings create duality <laughs> good and bad right and wrong the Bhagavad Gita is a chapter within this bigger poem known as the Mahabharata yeah. and the whole poem reflects a historical line on a family and why the two brothers and their children and one brother can't is, is the older but he's blind for a certain reason we won't go through all the details of the Mahabharata but then his other brother is ruling in power so when the fathers are kind of young and alive they rule the land and their children and one father has five children and one father has a thousand children. How they became, the numbers is secondary again. But now we have these children. And most of the poem deals with a bunch of different things. Stories on how they grow up, conflicts they have, falling in love, how they get their wives. And then a lot of other side stories. Not just these two families. Because the relationship between the families on earth reflects a relationship with the heavens above, mm -hmm. with the gods and such. As it so happens, there have been many different conflicts between the kids. And depending on you and your family, you may have noticed that you and your brothers and sisters, if you have any, can fight and have challenges. And then whether or not you and your cousins have challenges as well. Um, the idea of death as being something wrong is, is our notion, which is what the Bhagavad Gita will then kind of want to look at. Now we may as a society choose to have certain laws and regulations to help regulate the relationship we have with one another, right? That doesn't mean that's right or wrong. It just means that this society chose to have this. Like in our society now, you have only one husband or wife. 
in that society, they have many wives, <laughs> yeah. right? And in one family, for instance, the first wife says, you can have as many wives as you want, just don't bring her to my house. <laughs> That's part within that story. So there are certain ways of interacting with the society that we don't do today that are reflected in the Mahabharata in a different way, right? In a story from the past. And so on the same token with this one, the main, first main issue within the Bhagavad Gita is the issue of death and killing. Because it begins with the eve of the battle, meaning the next day there's going to be a war. At this point, there is no other solution. All other ways to try to appease the difficulties between these two offsprings of the brothers, the, the one family children and the other family children, the problem now is that this guy, they have to go to war. There's just no there other solutions. Another, eh, there is another solution. There is no other solutions. They've tried, meaning it's not, this is not like from yesterday. They've had many other problems and difficulties and they've tried many different ways to turn their cheek and accept and all that. But now there's going to be a war. And this is the night before the battle will begin. And so there's no aspect, and so Krishna notices that Arjuna, who he's speaking with, who is the leader, the captain, he's, he's tormented. And in his heart, is like, oh, you know, I mean, I know they've done all these things, and they've done all these harms, and they insult me and our wife, and, and they've done all these things that were not nice, <laughs> For so many years, but still, I was, they're my cousins, and I remember playing with them, and I remember hanging out with them. How am I going to go kill them tomorrow? I don't want to do that. Right? So there's that sense of conscious awareness about the fact that I have to end someone's life, and the conflict that that causes in us. Right? Whether right or wrong, if you want to use that. And so Krishna comes along and then realizes, wow, you have this confusion. And he first points out, well, this immediate confusion is not good before you start battle. <laughs> yeah. Which is a first indication for the rest of life. If you're not going to be assured about what you're going to do, then why do it? Because if you're going to start something with hesitation, <laughs> then the hesitation itself is already a cause for failure. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's a beautiful lesson, just in itself, without the need of killing. If you're going to go do something, embrace it and do it. Get rid of the doubt. But how? How am I going to get rid of the doubt? Right? Yeah. And so Krishna first points out, you're doubting. Doubting? To doubt, to be unsure. Okay. You're not sure. Oh, how am I going to kill them? That's being unsure. So we'll come back to other forms of information that he'll share 
But we'll first deal with this one, which we talked about the, last week, which is, you're confused. You, Arjuna, actually believe in the concepts of life and death. As if it's possible to kill someone. Wow. Where for us too, as human beings, and that's really the main, one, first aspects of the Bhagavad Gita, with this idea of like, what is life? What is death? Because now Krishna's pointing out to Arjuna, you think they're going to die. And by killing them, you're afraid. And so we learn two things. One, you can't be afraid if you're going to do something. How to gain the confidence to do it? We'll come back to that. But first learn, don't be afraid. Like you were saying, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to come back. <laughs> what do you mean you're not sure if you're going to come back? Be sure you're going to come back. Maybe you won't come back. Maybe COVID will happen. Right? Maybe. But why, but why even have the doubt in your head now? That's why I asked, did you buy your ticket? And you said, yes, so you have your ticket. You know you're coming back, right? The world might end tomorrow, but that has nothing to do with today having the confidence that I'm coming back. Does that make sense? Can you see the difference? Does that make sense? The diff yeah. There's this different feeling inside of you when you talk to someone, like you just the two of you just had the conversation. Yeah, I think I'm coming back. What do you mean you think you're coming back? You bought the ticket. You're coming back. <laughs> you know? I think I might go to Dubai in April. I think because they didn't say, they said they wanted to, but they didn't promote it yet. They didn't respond to my email about the fact that I wrote the whole retreat concept. You know, they read it. They said they'll come back to me. You know, they say they want me to come back, but notice how much of the unsureness they have. I had the sureness, like, hey, you guys want me to come back in April. We'll do this retreat. I came home. I wrote the, I wrote the retreat schedule. I, I broke it down, the hours and everything. I wrote down a specific marketing tactic and sent it over. And I'm still waiting for response. So now it's on them. And because they're not sure, I'm also not sure, which means that, hey, something else might happen. And then they could call me back like a week before April, be like, come. And I'm like, well, sorry, I have other plans. You know, you weren't sure when you needed to be sure. Right? I'm sure. If you want me to come back, I'll come back. I wrote it. I, I made my time free. Right? So I have an assurance. But if they don't, then fine. Hey, you're, you're the one who was confused. You were the one who made a decision not in the best timing. And who knows what could happen. Right? That makes sense? This idea of how to live day to day. To live now. Be in the moment. How am I going to be in the moment? Be sure of the moment. How am I going to be sure of the next moment? Well, do you worry about the sun coming up tomorrow? <laughs> Is there a fear in your mind that tomorrow the sun won't come up? Do you even think about it? The minute I asked you, did you realize like, yes, in my heart of hearts, I know for a fact that tomorrow the sun will still be there. It might be cloudy, right? But I know the sun will come up. 
Because someone can come over and say, no, tomorrow the war, the day will end. The world comes to an end tomorrow. Right? There's a lot of people say that. Right? Believe in this because the world will end tomorrow. Like, okay, I'm. what's the belief going back to that word? What do you mean believe that the world will come into the end tomorrow? <laughs> I know that it does not going to come to an end tomorrow. I know that the planets are still going to be here. So, sorry, so they believe sometime. The word belief encourages the idea of not being sure. Because the only reason you believe in something is because you don't know. Right? If you know that the sun is going to shine, then why do I need to believe in it? But remember what I said a moment ago. If I'm blind and I have never seen anything in my life and I've never seen the sunlight, then I can believe that there's sunlight because you tell me, but I will never know there's sunlight because I'm blind. I'll never see sun. I always have to believe someone else. But if your eyes are not blind and you see the sun, do you need to believe in the sun? Or you know that there's sun? Does that make sense? So Krishna is pointing to Arjuna. You believe in life and death. Surprising. I understand that many people are blind and they have that belief that I'm going to die. <laughs> And something will end. But I'm a God, Krishna. And I'm your advisor. And I was with you all of your life. Most of your life. And I kind of hoped that through me, you saw the light. <laughs> that the ideas of life and death are just ideas. You have a body. It might transform. But you... Who you are, that's not going to die. Which means that you can't kill someone. And that's what he begins. It's like, wow, you believe in life and death. Well, let me show you. <laughs> let me show you the past. Let me show you the present. Let me show you the future. I'm showing you. And then he's showing Arjuna that they're in heaven later. All hanging out, happy together. So that Arjuna will have a different understanding of what that means, life and death. That makes sense? So that you as the reader, the person who's listening, reading about this, also gain a new understanding that there is no such thing as death. Oh yeah, the body, this body might dissolve but are you the body right now you think you are which is the problem <laughs> right we think I'm this body and the body I saw other bodies they're not here anymore <laughs> but am I this body or am I something more And the gift of the human body 
unlike a dog body, unlike a tree body, unlike a rock body, these are still bodies, but the difference between them and this body is that when you're born in this body, you have an opportunity to recognize the real truth. A dog does not worry about his death. <laughs> a tree is not afraid of its death. A rock isn't worried about reincarnation. <laughs> but we as human beings have to create these things because we are afraid. We don't know. So we made belief. Right? Yeah. So in the Bhagavad Gita, the idea here is immediately about, oh, wait, why do you believe in that? I'm giving you the truth. I'm showing you real truth, that there is no life and death. There is time on this, in this experience. That makes sense? And enjoy this experience. Enjoy what this experience will give you. Because when you have a body, you're going to get older, you're going to get weaker, you're going to get hungry, you're going to have desires, you're going to have all these things. And so we're not dealing with Patanjali's about calm the turnings of the mind, which is the same idea, by the way. Right? We're just pointing in this aspects of the Bhagavad Gita of like, wow, you really thought that this experience was limited forgetting that the reason you have this experience is to discover who you really are. Otherwise, why are you here? <laughs> that makes sense? Immediately, on that level. <clears throat> it's just like, oh, wait, one, you can't be afraid because you're going to lose. <laughs> but the fact that you're afraid on information you're confused about, <laughs> let's fix that. Can I uh, make a question? Please. So, if I understand, it's like through the war that I came from belief to do experience. Through the question, through the question of Arjuna, how can I kill my cousin? That's the question. How can I kill them? And then the God, Krishna, is like, wow, you believe in death. You believe that death is an end. That makes sense? Mm. And all of us believe that because, right, the body dies and there's an end. It's like, oh, I can't see. We're all blind. <laughs> they asked the Buddha once if he was a god. He said no. They asked him if he was a saint. He said no. What are you? And he said, I'm awake. I'm awake. A man named Ramana Maharshi, who lived in South India, died in 1953 from cancer. When he was 16 years old, came to the same kind of, obviously in India, these stories are like, when you, like Christmas, right? Christmas is a story, right? With the birth of Jesus and whatever other stories come with it. It's a story. That's your stories. In India, they have the Bhagavad Gita as a story. For us, we didn't grow up with it, so we have this conversation now. But imagine if you grew up in India and that's the cartoon, if there's a cartoon on TV, which there is. Or if that's the story you hear all the time, like the story of Christmas that you heard since the day you were born. 
And I have other stories since I was born in Israel. And I have other stories from there, right? So India has this story. And the Bhagavad Gita is a very important story that shared across India. Right? Everyone in India knows this story. How much of the details is secondary? How many of the details do you know of Christmas? Right? Maybe more. Some people have others, right? So it's a story. So here, Ramana Maharshi, 16 years old, has this and says, wow, interesting, death. He says, there's no such thing as death. Well, let me die. So he lies down, this is his words, lies down, and in his words, I died. And discovered that there is no such thing as death. I discovered something. Had his own discovery, Ramana Maharshi. And for about a year and a half, he says, he was with a society, he went to school and hangs out, but it was like being around blind people. All these people who are unaware, and I had a hard time being there. And I'm looking over, he's living in Tamil Nadu in the south of India on the, on the east side. He's living down there, and he looks at a mountain called Arunchala. And he's like, the, a mountain is an ex embodiment of the divine that I know is. So I'm going to go be there. I'm going to go hang out with what I know is. Gets in a cave, hangs out there. About three years later, some people are walking along the mountain. They see this person. One of my teachers points out that in the West, if we saw that person, we think they're crazy. We take them because he was like just skin and bone. You know, he's just, he's just enjoying living what he really is. He doesn't really care about the needs of the body. He doesn't eat much. He doesn't even use the toilet that much. The body was a vehicle to discover who I really am. And in India, we have a different appreciation of such individuals. We're in the West. We just think, oh, look at you, beggar dude. Let me take you and put you in a home somewhere so I could feed you and, and get you better. But in India, they have a different appreciation of such people. And they see a radiant human being. They go down the mountain, they tell the people in the village, oh, we found a radiant person. And people go over and they look at this person. You know, he's just, he's just doing his thing. I think about a year, a little more than a year, he just gets bombarded with people always coming over and hanging out. And so he starts talking. And for the rest of his life, he would always say mostly the same kind of thing about just ask yourself who you are. But people come and people come. And so at some point, it's like, okay, you know what? Fine, build an ashram. The reason to do the ashram is so that all of you go do things for other people. And still ask yourself, who am I? A journalist from England when around the 1950s, just a few years before Ramana Maharshi will die was traveling around India trying to research this guru phenomena, this enlightened being ideas. And he wrote about it in a book. <coughs> but he says that when he met Ramana Maharshi, and when he sat in his space, it was the first time, compared to everyone else he had met, that just felt that they were just kind of human beings that seemed to be tricking other human beings. But with Ramana Maharshi, when he sat with him, it was the first time that he had experienced something he could not put into words. A sense of peace, a sense of joy, a sense of awareness 
that there is something more. And notice it's very difficult to put these into words. That's why we have all these different poems and even Patanjali writes in a way that uses less words because what am I going to say? Whatever I say, you're going to try to grab onto what I said. And that's not truth anymore. Truth can only be yours. If I give you an apple and you eat it, what does it matter what I said about it? <laughs> but if you've never eaten it, then all you have is what I say about it. And now you're trying to match what I said about it. Unless you eat the apple, and then you'll have your experience with the apple. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, a different point, and then we'll come back to the same. Romano Harshi was, had cancer. And his students or his followers wanted him to be better. So like, let's take you to the hospital. He's like, fine, take me to the hospital. <laughs> At the hospital, the doctor wanted to put him to sleep because he had to cut the cancer out. And he was like, it's okay. No need. Goes through the surgery. Man gets cut, gets stuff out. Seems as calm as he was before the surgery. After the surgery, his followers are like, Baba. That's how they refer to him, Baba. Don't you have pain? How could you do that? No pain? And he looks at them, he's like, Hmm. Ah. Yes. Body. The body has pain, yes. But I'm not the body. So I'm giving you different experiences of human beings that you can research, go on Google and read up about to describe the same element that what the Bhagavad Gita first tries to establish. This awareness of the confusion that we that live in a human body have. That somehow I am this body and this is who I am and one day I will die. And on the same token, I can kill you and you will die. Where the idea here first is, wait, why, do you why are you confused with this idea? Yes, you have a body. And yes, enjoy the fact that there's this world that this body interacts in. And this world that the body interacts in has a lot of stuff in it. Enjoy them. Unlike Patanjali. <laughs> enjoy him. Why do you think all the brothers have lots of wives? <laughs> and experiences. <laughs> and traveling around. <laughs> I mean, all of them, all of them, all of them, all these, because life, enjoy life, enjoy it to the max, maximize it, you know, some things are going to be pleasurable, some things will not be pleasurable, sometimes you're going to cause pain to other people, and sometimes you're going to cause pleasure to other people, is there, is there a right or wrong, that depends on the society you live in, what should be right or wrong, right? But the time you have in this body, the time you have in this dimension that you think is life, is, is a gift. Maximize it. But don't confuse yourself that this is what life is. You're giving an opportunity and that's what Krishna now is pointing out. You were giving an opportunity. I thought you already understood that opportunity to realize who you really are. But the fact that you think you're going to kill your cousins means to me that you don't, you're still blind. So now that we clarified that, 
And I showed you the past, the future, and look, look, we're in heavens together. And we're all back together in the heavens. Right? As if there's an image. And from that point, like, those of us here, especially in the West, we tend to get this element from this story as if, like, I'm going to keep this body of mine. Where it's more about the essence of who I am. And that essence was still Arjuna when I had a body. And it's still going to be Arjuna in the heavens for the sake of the story. Right? The story of Ram and Hanuman has already been around before this story. And so it's important I quickly bring that part of the story as well. And if you don't know who Rama is and Hanuman are, we'll leave a little bit of that for your Google research. But Hanuman is a monkey god and Rama is a reincarnation of Vishnu. And Rama needs help and at some point we'll contact Hanuman and Hanuman will help him. At the end of the war, when, they, when Rama's wife Sitta is saved, there's a moment, there's a, there's a celebration. And in that celebration, Rama is giving Hanuman a special ring. It's his family ring. He's had it all his life. And so he's giving the ring to Hanuman. And now Hanuman is looking at the ring. And it's, there's a whole crowd of people, you know, everyone's looking at him. And he's taking the ring, and as opposed to just putting it in his finger and saying thank you and all that, he's taking the ring, and now he's absorbed by looking at this ring. He, he inspects it, he turns it around, looks inside, looks outside, and he takes a nail and he scratches the ring, and nothing happens. And then with all his mighty force, he takes the ring and shatters it on the ground takes the pieces of the ring and looks at them. Sita, who's just been saved, is angry now and shocked. And she says, why would you take the gift he gave you and destroy it? And so Hanuman gets pulled out of this hypnosis moment he had. And he looks at her and he's like, oh, well, no, I'm, I'm, I need to see the name I'm looking for his name. This ring is useless if his name is not on the ring. Sita gets even angrier. And she says, are you saying that you are useless? I don't see Rama's name on you. So should we destroy you? At this point, and again, credit to James Cameron, however because he knew the Ramayana in some ways, he grows a nail and he cuts into his arm and he spreads the flesh to expose the bone. Think Terminator 1. Mm. <laughs> Those of you who know Terminator. Regardless, forget, <laughs> forget modern culture. <laughs> he exposes the bone and on the bone, the word Rama appears. He then makes his body translucent so everyone can see that in every bone in his body the name Rama appears. Yesterday, you weren't here, or the other day on Monday, when we heard Krishna Das talking a little bit about Ram and Hanuman, mm -hmm. and Hanuman was saying, Look, I'm, there's three parts to me. One part is here to serve you. And when I'm here, I'm serving you. I'm here, my purpose is to serve you. And then there's times that. 
you, you are the embodiment and I am a part. So Rama is the whole and Hanuman is a part. But then there's other times when I know that we're just one. We're just one. We're the same. That makes sense? Yeah. So this aspect of the story is already in the culture. And the story of Rama is also part of the Mahabharata. It's there somewhere in one of the aspects. It's told in a story. So at this point in the battlefield, again, we're going back to the same idea. You think you're going to kill them, but you're not killing them. <laughs> yes, you're killing their body. There's a reason that their body needs to be destroyed at the moment. The consequences of everything they've done up until now sadly means that they should be destroyed. Is there right or wrong? There's no judgment here. It's just a recognition that, sadly, yes, now they need to be eliminated. Their body needs to be taken away. Their actions needs to be stopped because they continue to cause suffering in the realm of this realm. And so we've given them enough chances and now this form that causes suffering needs to be eliminated. But that doesn't mean you're killing them. It doesn't mean that they're going to die. Because you're still one. Does that make sense? Yes, you're going to kill their body. <laughs> and, and maybe there should be a little sadness about the body, perhaps. But remember everything that has happened up until now. Does that make sense? This context of life and death and who we really are. But isn't uh, Krishna at the point also telling him that to die is the same as change on clothes? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So death is just like changing clothes. Yeah. I'm just changing a shirt. Mm. Notice you don't really care about the fact that you changed the shirt. So why are you so worried about changing the shape, the shirt of the body? You're right. Exactly. So that's a beautiful going back again. Mm. That there is no life and death in the way we're thinking about it. We're blind. It's just another form of a shirt. I'm putting a shirt on something. To make it more interesting, and because you brought the subject of Ayurveda, Ayurveda points out that we're all light. We come from a sense of light. Now existence, light, cannot shine on itself. How can light shine on itself? It's already light. <laughs> right? So I can't shine on myself. But how do I get to see myself? How will I see myself if I'm light? I have to create something to look at me. <laughs> and then that which I made can look at me and appreciate me. <laughs> it's a selfish cycle. <laughs> we have a body, we have a form to appreciate the light. Now going back, a dog, a tree, and a rock don't have a hesitation, but they also don't have the same appreciation that a human body can have at when you recognize the light. So existence creates form so that the form can look at existence. But only the human form can truly recognize that existence and appreciate it as is. Hence, in reincarnation ideas, the human form 
is the last form. And if you don't recognize reincarnation when you were given this gift and you're going to squander that gift and live your life and never experience what Ramana Maharshi did, recognize the existence that I am, not the shirt that I'm wearing, this body that I have. If I did not, while I have this opportunity, then this, for, this, this shirt will wither, but I'm going to put a new shirt on. And I don't know what shirt you're going to come back to. Hence why, again, in the Bhagavad Gita, the idea of reincarnations, that you get all these different forms to get to this point. And at this point, you still confused like the other forms. I don't want that for you. I want you to have the ability of recognizing existence. And if you would like to come back as a form and experience this realm, come back to this realm. But otherwise, why would you need to come back to this realm of death and sexuality? That's what this form is. This, this realm is the realm of life. Please, please, let's... In Bhagavad Gita, or I don't know, you can tell me, there is um, something that speaks about the way for to do this path for to... Correct. So first we start this. And then from here, so it's not so much about the way in terms of the way you're thinking of it in terms of translations, but rather first we recognize this, that existence is, and we're just shirts, and you can't live and die. There's no such thing as life and death. There's changing shirts, yes. The next part is the fact that you are born into this form for a certain purpose. We said the ultimate purpose of this form is to experience existence. That's the ultimate form. I have this form as a human body to understand that existence. But there's also other things this form was designed for. That's karma. So the word karma is what were your intended reason to be here in this experience? And there is large karma, like we just said, like Ramana Maharshi. Will I, in this, while I have this form, have a moment, have the ability to recognize this existence that we, especially now that we have yoga with us and the way we do yoga, that we are all one. Not just I'm saying it, but will you be able to have that ability with other human beings, other animals, other plants? Well, one of my, a very good teacher of mine points out, I was like, well, how many people would you really want to merge as one with? Right? And then the Dalai Lama merges, tries to merge with all beings. But, but you don't need to become the Dalai Lama. I mean, it's not in your karmic purpose yet. To love all people as one. Try. Right? It's right? a good way to try. <laughs> yeah. It's good yeah. to try. Exactly. exactly. Right? Try. But, but it's okay if you're, if you're falling short a bit. At least do your best to love unconditionally. To offer that sense of oneness to your lover, your mother, father, your brother, sister, your friends. You know, like find those that you could really give that to that sense of oneness and learn how, how to do that, which is its own difficulty. But 
So that's one karmic purpose. But there's other karmic purposes you have. And in the Bhagavad Gita, the karmic purpose of Arjuna was to fight this war. <laughs> that's what Krishna now unveils to him. Your purpose, the reason you are born, you were given life through a god. And those gods knew that a war is coming. And so they made you as you because they knew that you're going to have to fight this war. So that is your purpose of life. Can, can we say that that's his dharma? Uh, because it's his duty to... It's right, duty. there you go. So, yeah. so from yeah. karma, now mm. we have dharma, karma. Mm. Yeah, the yeah. duty. Mm. Right? So, right, your karmic purpose was to do this mm. and your purpose is to fight this war. Mm. Correct, exactly, exactly. What was your karma? What is your karma? What is my karma? These are all things we have to discover. And just to give you, because I have a person I feel like is an incredible teacher, points out. It's like, well, look, karmic also is small things. Like, you chose to make a karmic decision. So now we'll just take Pam as Pam. You chose to have a karmic choice to come back here how did you choose it you bought the ticket right is it your true karmic purpose well it is yeah you chose it you wanted to come here you're coming so you're coming so then when you're coming here be here right and don't doubt it something might change yes right covid could happen again but why worry about it today why be stressed about it when you, in your heart of hearts, have an assurance that that is my purpose. Or maybe you don't. Maybe the reason you have a doubt here and all that is because a part of you knows that maybe it's not. And you're running away. I don't know. Again, I'm, I, I can only comment based on what you say. Right? Or help to establish the same as what Krishna is trying to establish for Arjuna. The ability to have confidence. Because when you have confidence, you don't have doubt. When you don't have doubt, you have success. That makes sense? Yeah. See that relationship? And so from right, from from the worry about killing someone, Arjuna learns about confidence. By how do I establish confidence? By knowing that this is my path, knowing that this is the direction I'm supposed to go. And by knowing it's my direction, I can stay true to my purpose, even if something else comes up. Right? Otherwise, you could get pulled in all kinds of directions. <laughs> right? If you knew what your purpose was, you're not going to go there. Because you know this is where I need to go. But if you, you don't know where to go... If you feel something that the purpose can change, cambiare can change of course it can change correct that's where again so going back away from the Bhagavad Gita which puts things in a larger perspective and then breaking it down well it could be that this morning I woke up and I had my karmic idea that I need to go to the beach right but then I get on my bike and there's a a parade and you can't cross the road well obviously my purpose is changed mm -hmm. right or 
I had a purpose to take my son with me to go live in America. And then COVID happened. <laughs> do I then, when COVID finishes, do I then push the earlier idea that I had about a purpose on him? Or do I now listen to the fact that, oh, but now you've been in Singapore and you started your high school. So why would I pull you from high school just because I want to? That makes sense, Hata. So yes, so there's certain karmic things on the day-to-day. And the way you know is that when you go to sleep at night, when you lie down in bed, and there's no, there's no more. You just lie down and sleep because you've lived your life fully that day. But if you lie down in bed and you have a worry about like, I should have went to the beach, then you didn't live life that day on, on track. How do I know? Because look, you're thinking about it. You did not live your karmic duty for that day because you have a thought about it. Because if you did, then you wouldn't and you'd go to sleep well. That makes sense? So we have day-to-day karmic purposes that, and especially in today's world compared to the Bhagavad Gita world, where there's lots of different things. And then there's a big thing, meaning like, oh, wait, <laughs> do you know what a certain direction? Maybe you have an inclination to do something, raise a family, write a book. I don't know what that is, but you have. And if you don't know, which most of us don't, that's the problem for most of us. We don't know what is my karmic purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, and so right. So I don't know what my karmic purpose is. Your job is to discover it. Mm. And how do you discover your karmic purpose? By asking, (laughs) going inside and looking. Practice. Practice. And which is called practice, Mm. right? Sadhana, Sadhana is a Sanskrit word for practice. Sadhana is practice. That makes sense? Thank you, Gabriel. <laughs> right? And then we take what we learned last week. And so Patanjali, what he does, rather than have all these words, he's more simplified, more scientific. Notice the reason, and you asked a moment ago before we started about, is yoga a religion or not? And when you have this context that we just looked at, it very much has a flavor of religiousness. Life, death, my purpose. Yeah. And so, oh, and there's one thing. And so there's all too many words that can cause too many conversations. (laughs) But But still different as well as a religion, I think, because it's more deeper. Mm-hmm. And and you you believe in in religion. You have something that you believe, and in in yoga you just have to believe in yourself. Actually, so it I feel it's like more bigger and more deeper than a religion. Mm-hmm. If I can just correct, correct the yeah, word yoga. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, we're just yeah. gonna. But we're just touching on the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, yeah. And who who have you noticed who in the world loves to give out this book? The Hare Krishnas. <laughs> the okay, ones um, that go around yeah. and chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Yeah. They love giving you the Bhagavad yeah. Gita. Yeah. And so the Bhagavad Gita can get a feel in yeah. the outside world as a religion. Yeah. Even though the word yoga appears there. Mm-hmm. And remember, Krishna now offers Arjuna a way to deal with his confusion. 
After he describes what we just said, that there is no such thing as life and death, this was your karmic purpose, this is your dharma. Now that you know this, now that you know all this, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have doubts, you're not going to have a fear, right? It's still going to happen. And so Krishna is offering Arjuna a sadhana. When you're confused, I'm going to teach you yoga. But the yoga that he teaches him isn't yet this yoga. When you're afraid, when you're doubt, when you're not sure, you remember to do your practice and your practice is think about me. Wow. <laughs> so again, has a, has a religious feel. Patanjali comes along a couple of thousand years later and says, well, beautiful, but there's a science here. So let's take away the words and use the science side. What happens when I focus on Krishna? I'm focusing. <coughs> what happens when I'm doubting? I'm thinking. Right? How can I kill you? <laughs> so what's the path of yoga? Is to quiet the mind. I'm thinking about Krishna not so that I become Krishna. I'm not Krishna. I'm thinking about Krishna because Krishna is a God. Krishna is an embodiment of all. So I would know who I am. I'm not Krishna. I'm just thinking about Krishna so that I know who I am. So what is Patanjali points out? When you quiet your thinking, you'll know who you are. I don't need Krishna anymore. I don't need karma anymore. Does that make sense? So Patanjali is kind of like the first scientist from this, extracting what's important from what we learned here. Not ignoring the story, they're beautiful stories, but for us, they're not our stories. So we have to deal with a lot more because it's not ours. It's transplanted on us <laughs> compared to if you grew up there. And in that same sense, why a beautiful man, that's the last thing I'll say, pointed out, Jesus, Krishna, Hanuman, they're all the same. Jesus, in many ways, didn't say anything different than what we just said. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. Because you're not different than me. We are one. And we're both an extension of the divine. Just if you want to be Christian, you have to believe in Jesus and then that causes a whole different realm. <laughs> How was that? That makes sense? Let us think and see how that sits with you. The ideas of confidence, do something and have put one. When I have confidence, what does that mean? I'm putting all my resources there. I'm, there's no doubt. I'm excited, right? So do that. And when you have confidence, you know that that's your purpose. And if you are doubting your purpose, then take a moment and pause. And do your practice. And maybe that isn't your purpose, right? Maybe, maybe those feelings you have is because your, your soul 
is helping you understand that that's not the direction I need to go. And it's okay to change. That makes sense? Right? And will change be difficult? Yes. And will there be difficulties in the change? Yes. And that's where the beauty of the Mahabharata, where so they go through. It's difficult to change. Yes, you can change, exactly. But I, if I just can say, in, in, to, to understand the Bhagavad Gita, and it's, that's make a little bit confusing because it's about something you should kill. He shall, it's a war, and we, we know that war isn't good. So I think the confusion yeah. is starting well, actually there. Well, so wait, one second, one second, one second, one second. We go back to two things that you're, you used as a premise of fact. And the first premise of fact is that war is not good. And I'm like, mm. and I'm pointing out, mm. well, who, point, who gave you that? Yeah, that's an in, impression that you have learned, you know, from your ah, work. Yeah, yes, ah, it is. Yeah. Ah. And that's also, I think, that you have this big, big question. Why yeah. is this good? If you don't know the story, now you have explained why it's good. He has to do his duty. But before that, if you don't know... That's, I think, the confusion about the Bhagavad Gita. Correct, yeah, you're right. It's coming, yeah. Right. It's starting, actually, Correct. because it's a war and he shall kill so many people. And what is this a good thing? Right. Yeah. And then the reason, and the, and the way, and because the word, we're just so difficulty for us in, in English, but then in any language, mm. this desire to have everything is good or bad. Mm. Yeah. And... And I'll bring back the third sentence Patanjali says on yoga poses. He points out yoga is steady and comfort. When the effort to do the yoga pose is effortless, then it's a yoga pose. And when you are in a yoga pose, the sense of duality disappears. Mm -hmm. The idea of good or bad goes away. Krishna doesn't talk about good or bad. He simply deals with the confusion of Arjuna that I'm going to kill. There is nothing here about the war being good or not good. <laughs> war is. My question in my mind is like also, I'm, can I be, not good, but can I do um, a good things and something bad, like a killer too, no? Everyone, like everyone is a choice, not to be someone, a good person, but what is a good person? Yeah. Now that you explain this, uh, there is confusion now because we grow up with... Uh, we grow up with I mean, social uh, rules. One yeah. second. We, we grow up today with a certain set of social rules. One of those social rules is don't kill someone. Social Forget rules? the yeah, like it's a social rules. If you go kill someone, it's called murder. They put you in jail. <laughs> if you go kill someone, regardless of why, regardless of why, right? Maybe they raped you, and you go kill them. The judge might be lenient. He might be nice because he recognizes that they raped you, and 
you had a reason to kill them, but you're still going to jail. <laughs> right? Right? So we live in a realm of rules, social rules, that you can't escape anymore because they're part of your life. The Bhagavad Gita does not have those rules. They have other ways, but they don't have these rules the way we do. But for the, leave, the life that we are living... Ah, for the life we live today, then you got to live with the rules of society. But that doesn't mean right or wrong. This is the confusion, no? Correct. From this concept. Because we're dealing with, the, with this concept of, of the, the connected side of things. So we can appreciate that in society... Killing someone is unlawful, they can die. And that's called murder, and I go to jail. If I go to someone's house and take their things, it's called stealing, and I'll go to jail. <laughs> we like to think of it as good or bad, but then we come back to what we looked at last time with Patanjali. Patanjali doesn't stay stealing is bad, like the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. Patanjali says something more beautiful. He says, when you don't need to steal anything, you'll discover you have everything. Doesn't mean that stealing is good or bad. Stealing is. Stealing is going to continue to happen in this realm. Okay, can I have the last one? And yeah, yeah. have to go? Uh, I see the word, no? There are parts of the world in Europe, uh, Russia, and all of the, the world. Middle East, yes. Okay. How can I feel with this? Uh, is a, not a, like this is like uh, uh, not attachment. I'm in distance. I'm far away from what happened. Well, having having compassion to the suffering that exists in the world, have compassion. To believe that somehow or another um, suffering is going to go away, well, now we'll go to the Buddha who pointed out, <laughs> for him, that was his question too. That was, the, that was why he has a different vocabulary than Patanjali. Because he was like, but there's still a lot of suffering. Yes, I became a yoga master and all that, but look at all the suffering, the life and death the, the pain and pleasure people caused one another. And then he has a recognition. And Buddhism has even less vocabulary than the Bhagavad Gita, less vocabulary than Patanjali Sutras, but the same essence. The Buddha points out suffering is. <laughs> suffering is. This realm that you are in is a realm of suffering. Yeah. There is nothing you're going to do about that. Because you are the one causing the suffering. I am the one making the suffering. The way to undo suffering is not outward, but inward. The way to undo suffering, again, Buddhism, in a, in a nutshell, the way to undo suffering is to do something for someone else. 
But the only way to know that I'm doing it for someone else, not from my pleasure, is by knowing myself. So I got to be able to be with myself and accept whatever is happening. And so the Buddha walked along a street one day and the people from the street came out and they heard about him and they don't like him and so they start throwing rotten vegetables and rotten fruits at him saying profanities and cursing him and he calmly walks through the town and walks out of town. <laughs> when he's out of the town, a few of the people from that town chase him down and now they're shocked. They're like, what's up? How is it that you're still so calm even though that experience happened? And he pointed out, well, I don't know how to answer that, but I'll say this. I just came from a different town. <laughs> And they all came out with loads of fresh food and fruits and constant celebration. And I told them, I have everything I need. So thank you. But share this among all you all. I just couldn't say that to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Suffering is. The world suffering. If your karmic purpose is to help the suffering in the world, do that. But don't be disillusioned that you're not going to get crucified like Jesus was. <laughs> right? This is a world of suffering. Where we came to this, you chose to be in this existence. And through this existence of suffering isn't to undo the suffering since suffering is part of this reality but to recognize that I am the one who is making the suffering and to rise above it and to rise above it is sadhana do I do practice Buddhism way I'm going to go and help people I'm going to do practice through Bhagavad Gita way I'm going to celebrate Krishna I'm going to do it through the Jesus way again in Christianity, let's be honest, the, the, the premise of Christianity is beautiful. But look at what it did. Crusades and how many people they've killed. No, 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 no different than Muhammad, the Muslim. And no different from Judaism. But Judaism on its side is... is Judaism, unlike Muslim and Christianity, is about, let me be an example for you not that you will become like me but let me be an example let me set an example of what's possible let me show you what how we can live in this realm in a certain way I'm not suggesting that your way is good or bad I'm just suggesting that we can have another way of how do we live together and I'm going to give you an example so, but it's beautiful because sometimes it's a simple no concept but it's all complicated it, yeah very simple but in the same time it's really the noise for me no it's like uh yeah it's simple it's i hear you say yes but in the same time is correct and so I'll take my teacher, I'll give him his name. His name is David Data. He, he likes to point us like, okay, you know, just start 
with the one you want to be in bed with. Because <laughs> that's going to be as hard enough for you to realize how selfish you are, how you act from a place of your desires and not really for theirs. <laughs> that really you're masking your desire to feel loved, to feel needed by all the things you say, as opposed to learn how to give love, which is hard. And so he has good practices for that, which is no different than the practices you have at the moment. But he just uses that realm of practice to help individuals see another way to reach the same plateau of there is one and and who what other person if you have a sexual relationship i mean aren't you trying to become one with that person if not then don't worry about this teaching but if if the reason you and this person are merging together is just to get pleasure, well, okay, get your pleasure. But then pleasure and suffering go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. But if the reason you are choosing this is not for my pleasure, but rather for the capacity of experiencing this oneness that I can have through two bodies, then I'm seeking the oneness, no, same as I'm seeking oneness with my breath and body, mind and body. My breath is just giving me a chance to quiet my mind and merge my body. Not, oh, I'm stiff. So what if you're stiff? Just breathe. So you're stiff today. You'll be more flexible tomorrow. <laughs> and as you noticed, yesterday I was more stiff today, not so stiff. The day's changed, but the breath, the breath is constant. The breath doesn't need to change, but it does. So I'm bringing my, my mind back to making the breath the same so that I could walk out in the world and not be so disturbed by the duality I'm going to see in the world, which is Buddhism, accept whatever's happening. Do what you need to do, but accept whatever's happening. So if you're doing mindfulness meditation, that's the word, or metta meditation which comes from this aspects of practice then you would sit and if you have an itch well why are you itching it's going to go away just stay with your breath <laughs> which is what we said last week if your mind it's not about stopping thoughts thoughts don't stop but if i'm going to do something then why are you disturbed by the thought focus on what you're doing <laughs> do what you're doing it's simple, but... You know, oh, no, no, it's simple in talking. <laughs> requires a tremendous amount of effort. It's a lot of practice. That's practice. But that's no different than what Krishna is teaching Arjuna on the mountaintop. When you're confused, when you're thinking, just think about me and do what you need to do because I told you you're supposed to do this. So don't run away because, oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.